All right, yes, I am, Sandy is my mom, and just in case you might be formulating some expectations, I'll just tell you right out, I'm not nearly as funny as her, and I am not a morning person. <laughs> in fact, I fight, I, no, I fight the grumpy cat syndrome every morning, so my husband can tell you that. I try not to be grumpy, but it takes me a while to get my motor going in the morning. And I'm sure a lot of you are, are very empathetic to that, because I saw the line at the coffee shop in the cove this morning, and I still haven't gotten my coffee yet, but that's okay. I'll come later. <laughs> it is a joy and a privilege to be here with you this morning, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity that God has given um, for this workshop. And I'll just start by, um, my mom introduced me, but, see, I don't think this is, I'm not very good at tech stuff. The, Thank you. <laughs> Turning it on helps. <laughs> I make my husband so proud. <laughs> this is my husband, Tim, and he is the love of my life, and I'm so thankful for him. You've probably seen him floating around in the bookstore. He manages the Faith Bookstore at Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. And honestly, this is one of my favorite weeks, weekends of the whole entire year. It's so much fun to be able to accompany him and to come up here and see you ladies and visit with you and just provide something that you probably don't get a huge opportunity to do, one of them being shop by yourself, and shop a bookstore where there's actual physical books. So it's super fun to come up here and, and to be able to do this. Um, and so we have five children. We have four boys and a girl. You've probably seen them floating around as well, some helping at the register, and two of them probably hanging from the monkey bars. So they are a delight to our heart, and we're super thankful for them. Our oldest, Josiah, will be 15 in November, and our youngest, Eliza, is eight. So we, uh, there is never a dull moment at our house, and it's often very loud, but that's okay. We love it. So we're very thankful for our family and um, what God has given to us. Um, I want to go ahead and just start this morning in a word of prayer and just to, to commit our time together to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that your word is sufficient for everything pertaining to life and godliness. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to share um, the Song of Songs with these ladies. I pray that you would help me to speak uh, the word accurately and well, and that there would be receptive hearts to the truths from your word. Uh, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... <clears throat> I would like to start our time together by, <clears throat> excuse me, I have that frog. I think it uncrossed its legs and jumped into my throat. <clears> throat. Excuse me. Excuse me. I would like to start our time together um, just by sharing with you uh, just the whole topic of biblical intimacy. Um, how many of you are super comfortable sharing this with people? How many of you are comfortable sharing it with your children? Okay. I don't see a lot of hands. We have a few brave ones in the, in the house tonight. I am not one of those brave ones. I have learned to be more brave, but um, I want to ask you a question. Does, is the world afraid to share those things? No. It kind of was a light bulb moment for me when my husband and I were um, uh, working through the Song of Songs together. I thought, you know, 
this, this is kind of interesting. I, I can be a really awkward person, very awkward. I don't like talking about awkward things. I just, I'm not confrontational. I don't like to touch awkward things with a 10-foot pole. But I did start to realize, you know, this book, this topic of biblical intimacy is something that needs to be shared with the next generation because the world has no problem sharing their worldview. And we're kind of left without weapons. We have not armed ourselves with truth. And so we just kind of hope that things will work out okay or things will kind of shake out okay and that the kids will learn. Um, but that's not been working too well. I've not been really um, impressed with the product of that and I've not been convinced that that's the way to go. My husband uh, teaches at the seminary at Faith Baptist Theological Seminary in Ankeny, and his discipline is Old Testament studies. And so many years ago, when he started working on his uh, doctorate, he, was, he took a class in the Song of Solomon, and um, he was challenged by his professor to write a paper on a specific topic in the Song of Solomon. And so that kind of started his, his journey of studying this small book of the Bible. And obviously he shared things with me and we, we learned and we were growing. There was a lot of sanctification in our, in our marriage going through this little book. Lots of dross was brought to the top. It was, it was not always pleasant, but it was very good. It was good. God's word is a mirror and it reveals the things in our hearts as we submit to the word and, and put ourselves under the truth. So I want to share with you a burden that has been on our heart and has been growing. We have noticed a void um, just with, with among believers that this is not a topic that we talk about very often. God designed sex. Did he not? God created it. It is a good thing. But the world has just perverted it terribly. And so what we've kind of done is we've swung the pendulum. We've gone, well, the world teaches this, you know, and we've had, there's been, you know, purity movement, all sorts of things. There's been good things, but we don't really understand what God has to say about it. And I think partly it's because we don't believe that is a good thing, that God wants us to enjoy this beautiful thing that he has created. And our poor kids are kind of oftentimes left to what the world has to offer. We're just not sure how to handle this topic. And I'm with you, it's awkward. And so I, I don't like to deal with awkward things. So we're gonna try to hopefully dive into something and make it not quite as awkward because when we know the truth, the truth can set us free from that awkwardness. So um, I wanna ask you some questions and I, this is a workshop. So I, I, I would love to have a little bit of feedback from you. Um, I think a good thing is to start by asking ourselves some questions. Um, what are we up against? Well, we, we kind of see it every day, don't we? Um, sometimes we go into the arena of the world, you know, armed and ready for battle and just start going. Our, we have four boys and every Tuesday, my husband tries to bring them to a game store where they play strategy games. And two of our boys, their strategy is get in there and blow everyone up on the game board. And then they wonder, you know, why did I lose so fast? Well, you gotta have a strategy. You have to have some tactics. You know, you can be armed and ready to go, but if you just go in there looking to blow everything up, it's probably not gonna go very well. So we have to know what we're up against before we can start being able to stand for truth. So 
Let me hear from you. What does the world teach our kids about intimacy, biblical in, or intimacy in general? What does it teach? Just throw some things out. Yeah, exactly. What else? So I'm sorry, there's two. Totally casual. Totally casual. Yep. What's that? What's, no limits. What about, it's easy. It's natural. You don't have to work at it. What, anything goes. Yes. No consequences. Yep, just in the moment, in the moment, right? Exactly. So I want to ask you another question. When does the world start teaching our kids about intimacy? Oh, there's lots. <laughs> yes, I heard elementary school. Cartoons. Two. When you give your kid a phone. That's really early for all those, isn't it? But they're learning. The world has no problem indoctrinating them at a very early age. Why does the world teach them about intimacy? Sorry, I forgot my PowerPoint. Can't do two things at once. Oh, come on. There we go. Why does the world teach them about intimacy? Trying to mold them. Exactly, it does. How does the world teach them about intimacy? Sorry, what was that? Entertainment. Any way they can. They're pretty creative, aren't they? And they're pretty successful. So now that we kind of know, we all know what the world teaches, right? So some of us, me included, I'd be like, man, I want to shield my kids for as long as possible. I don't want them ever to learn anything, you know, kind of swing on the pendulum a little bit. And, you know, that's all well and good. And we should shield our kids from a lot of things until they're developmentally ready. But guess what? They're going to come into contact with it at some point. And we need to be able to arm them to be able to know what God says about biblical intimacy. Um, and even if you could, like, shut your child up in a, in a, in, you know, at home for 18 years, you know, with no screens, no books, no anything, there's something inside of them that is going to be curious. Why is that? Because God made us sexual beings, right? He made us sexual beings. And so we need to acknowledge that. And God has something to say about that, doesn't he? So inevitably, you will be faced with this topic sooner or later. You might not have kids. You might be older and your kids are out of the house. You, you might, but you know what? You have friends. You probably have young people that you can mentor. You know, I think of Titus 2, that the older women are to teach the younger women. And that can look a lot of like a lot of different things in the church. You know, you might have young ladies that you are mentoring and their parents are okay with you teaching them the truths of this. So we all have somebody in our life whom we can teach. We will start addressing. Now, why don't we, why don't we want to teach well, we kind of have this education abdication, right? We thought, this is a topic we don't want to talk about. Why are, what are some of the ways, why, are some of, why do we not want to teach? Why don't we want to, to teach this topic to our young people? Our parents avoided it, so we're just doing what they did, right? Yep. What's that? 
It's uncomfortable. Absolutely. It's uncomfortable. What else? Yes, exactly. Exactly. What's that? Um, it will make them curious. So we want them to stay as ignorant as possible for as long as they can. What? A bad experience. Exactly. Exactly. You know, sometimes when we have had failures in our lives on certain things, we don't feel that we are worthy or equipped to teach. But you know, something kind of dawned on me one time as I was counseling a young, a young lady who was headed off to, to counsel for the summer. She's like, I haven't experienced any of these things that these girls are going to come to me with. I said, it's okay. You don't have to because your authority comes from the Word of God. You're not sharing your authority, you're sharing the, the authority of the Word of God, and it's okay. You don't have to experience everything that everyone is, 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 has experienced in order to be effective. You share the Word of God because that's where our authority is. It's awkward. Media has a corner on our kids' attention, right? And honestly, sometimes we're just lazy. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And sometimes we're just not realistic. Uh, we have our head in the sand on what um, our kids are being taught. Um, I know COVID exposed a lot of things to, to, that was kind of a silver lining for a lot of parents, I think, in, just in general, of what's being taught um, in education. And it's, it's much more comfortable when we don't, we can have our head in the sand and we don't need to see what's going on around us because then we're not really held accountable, right? So we, and sometimes we just don't think that the scriptures are sufficient in this area. You know, I think of 2 Timothy um, 3.16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, lacking nothing. Is the book of Song of Solomon a part of the scriptures and a part of the word of God? Yes. So it is part of that is part of what can make us complete in this area. So we have looked at what the world teaches. Um, and we have to really think, do, when it comes down to this, do I want the world system, which is an anti-God system, teaching my kids or teaching the young people in my life? Um, do we want that? they will learn about this from this teacher, and we have to decide who that teacher will be. It's not an if they learn, it's they will learn. If you believe and you are convinced that you are the primary instructor in your kids' life, um, you are headed in the right direction, but it's okay. We'll talk about the when, the where, the how, and all that kind of stuff. I'm here to help walk you through that. That's what this workshop is for. And I'm excited to share some of the, the beautiful and nuggets of truth that we have discovered and studied and, and unearthed a little bit over the past few years. So, and you know, my oldest is 15. We're just starting to navigate these waters too. So we're in this together. We're far from perfect, but we're understanding the need to, to talk about these things with him. So the book of the Bible, Song of Songs, is a small book um, in the Old Testament, and it's wisdom literature. You're probably familiar with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and um, yeah, Song of Songs is part of wisdom literature. So the, uh, the, we're just, I love how Faith told this morning about just an aerial view. There is a lot packed in this little book, and I do not have time to go over everything with you, but I just want to give you some little snippets and give you kind of an aerial view of this beautiful book. 
So what does, I'm just gonna fly through these pretty quickly as far as the what. And I, I, <laughs> I felt kind of bad, I didn't put any notes in. I chose to go noteless in your, in your papers because I thought, oh, they can just write this down. But as I was putting up my PowerPoint, I'm like, I can just see smoke coming from the paper. Because if you're like me and like to write everything down, you know, you smoke, your pen starts to smoke and it's just like, woo. So, if you want to just sit back and listen and don't want to worry about taking notes, this PowerPoint will be available on the Song of Songs for Singles website. It's SOS4S.com. I think my husband left. But it's at the end of, excuse me, it's at the end of the slide. So if you just want to sit back and listen, don't worry. You can go back at your leisure and fill in your notes if you would like. So I just wanted to let you know, because sometimes we can get distracted by feverishly writing down all the things. So what does this book of the Bible teach? It teaches the importance of the desire in young ladies to look for a man of virtue. Another thing it teaches that ideal love uh, can be enjoyed by the poorest and the richest. It teaches about image insecurities, dealing with sin before it becomes big and destructive, that sometimes a wife needs to help her knight get back on his horse. The godly wife can and should show assertion in the area of intimacy true love, soulish love, sacrifices and loves when it's hard and seemingly impossible. We see, um, we can even remember the gospel in this. It is good to, the gospel is not in the song, but it reminds us of the sacrificial love that God has for us. It's good to recount why you fell in love with your husband um, or your wife for, for men. A husband does not barge into his garden, but the wife does not lock him outside of the garden either. Uh, providing selfish excuses to resist sexual advances from one spouse's sin, the protection of community, the resolute attitude of the unmarried to guard their virginity, the exclusivity of the marriage union. There's a lot in this little book, I promise. Um, the power and the fire of love, and probably the most important message of the song, uh, that's repeated three times is the adjuration refrain, which is, do not awaken love before the proper time. And so I, we learn by repetition. My mom always taught us. We learn by repetition, and that, that adjuration refrain is repeated three times. It means it's important. We need to pay attention. This is something that we need to, to remember. And so I'm not going to go through the whole book of the song, but we're going to actually focus on the adjuration refrain, um, just so that you. this is kind of foundational to the book of of the Song of Solomon. So we're gonna go to um, Song of Songs 2-7, and you can just camp out at one of these three verses because they're pretty much the same. So 2-7, or 3-5, or 8-4. So you can take your pick. And that verse says, do not awaken love before it pleases. And so we're going to just kind of parse through that, through that verse a little bit. What does awaken imply? I can get some feedback. What does awaken imply? Yes, something is sleeping. Something is sleeping. Exactly. And I'm guessing some of you may have been awakened before the proper time this morning, right? We're at camp, we don't come to sleep. We're usually awakened at very odd hours of the, of the night for other things. Last night we were at the microtel and we heard this construction sound. It was going off and I'm like, what in the world? It's like three or, I, I didn't know what time it was, it was dark. My husband gets out, looks out the window, a garbage truck was dragging a garbage 
big, huge garbage thing across and making clink and clink. It sounds like someone was working on a road outside at 3 a.m. We were awakened before it pleased, so we, we went back to sleep. <laughs> but it implies that something is sleeping. Some of you are moms of little people. Have you ever, your, has your baby ever been awakened before the time was for them to be awake? Usually causes distress on everybody, right? It's like, oh, the goal is to get the baby back to sleep, get the baby back to sleep. So it's something is sleeping, right? So to awaken means to start to move, to agitate or to disturb. You know, we have these signs, do not disturb. Don't disturb love before the right time. Well, what is love? What in the world is love? Well, love is different things. It can be different things. It can be an abstract noun. Um, I teach, uh, I tutor uh, our fourth through sixth graders in our homeschool community every Tuesday, and I teach, and I, I just love it. It's so much fun. They are a riot. Well, we just were learning about concrete and abstract nouns. So a concrete noun is something that you can touch, something with your five senses. You can touch it, you can taste it, you can feel it. Okay, so love would be an abstract noun. It's kind of like an idea, right? So it can be an abstract noun. Love can be a verb, it can be an action word. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It can be a desire or affection. Until it pleases, it means that there's an improper time for love and that there is a proper time for love, right? So there is an appropriate time. Do not awaken love before it pleases. So there's, 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 Let's going back to the love, there's different kinds of love. There's a I love you ladies kind of love, and there is an I love my husband kind of love. Okay, I don't love you ladies like I love my husband. Okay, so there's a couple different types. So the Song of Songs, what do you think the song is talking about? Do you think it's like an agape, love everybody kind of love, or more of an exclusive kind of love? What do you think? Yes, you're right. It's an exclusive kind of love. It's a romantic type of love. This cultivating desire and affection for an exclusive relationship with, with a person, with your husband. And so that's where it can get kind of awkward. We're like, it's kind of weird territory here. Um, so where we've, it, the, until it pleases means that there is a proper time. Um, and in our, in our Christian culture, you know, so often we, well, we're so well-intentioned. Don't be intimate, and you know, don't be intimate. Don't be intimate. Don't mess up. Don't don't do the right thing. Okay. So we have a lot of do nots, which are good. They have their place, but oftentimes we don't give young people the flip side of that coin. But there actually is a proper time to awaken love, and it's a good thing. The time is not yet, and so to focus on there, the positive. There is a time, but that time is not until you are ready to consider marriage. And it, it's kind of a, I hear of like fourth graders having boyfriends and girlfriends and third graders and seventh graders. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's, that's a lot of pressure to be putting on our fourth graders for to have an exclusive relationship preparing for marriage at fourth grade. You know, you kind of want to make it through the 12th grade first, right? So I'm like, we don't need to be burdening them with these things, but then they burden themselves and it's the thing to do. But is it right? it's kind of encouraging them to awaken love and to, to be exclusive with someone that they have no business being exclusive with until they're ready to say their vows. And so those are things that are just are not helpful. They're not helpful. And um, it's marriage. And so that begs the question then, 
what activities awaken love? And that seems to be the million dollar question that a lot of young people ask. So how far is too far? Well, if you're looking to get as close to the line as you very possibly can, you'll find a way, right? But what usually happens is the closer you get, that line kind of just disappears, right? So some of us may have experienced that in our lives, and it's true, it's true. The point isn't how close can you get to the line. The point is, why do you want to get as close to the line as possible? It starts in the heart. Why do you desire to get close to that line? Why do you want to know how far is too far? The problem is in here. And that comes out in our actions. I love the verse in Proverbs that says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. So if we are diligent to guard our heart, to fear the Lord, to run after truth, we are probably gonna be nowhere near that line because our focus is on the right things. So let's talk about when. We've talked about what we should teach. When should we teach? When do you think you should, we should teach this? When do you think? I'm hearing some rumblings. Okay, puberty. Okay, yep. Absolutely. Yep. So the time is now. You know why? Because the world is teaching them now. You know, inadvertently, the world is teaching them through even movies like cute, harmless movies like Cinderella, the old Cinderella. They're teaching little girls how love works. And I'm not here to debate Disney movies. That's not my point. But you can see, so this is love. Well, what is love? It's dancing with Prince Charming. That's love. That's what your little girl sees. That's what my little girl sees. Teaching them now because they are learning now. Obviously, I'm not going to go into all the nitty-gritties of the birds and the bees with my four-year-old. She's Excuse me, she's now eight. I'm not going to do that. We're going to be appropriate. But what I can teach her is that she, she needs to have a lot of friends. We don't have exclusive relationships until you are ready to be married. And so you can have lots of friends. You can have lots of friends who are boys. You can have lots of friends who are girls. And we encourage that. But no exclusive relationships until you're ready to say, I do. So we can teach them, start teaching them now. And as they have questions, you can answer age appropriately um, those questions. You should be a safe space for your child to go to, to because someone, they'll find somebody. They'll find somebody. And the best person probably would be you. So why? Why should we teach about biblical intimacy? Well, it's because God wants you to be the one to teach your children about biblical intimacy. And the church should also be available to come alongside of you to do that, because it's kind of a scary thing, but God has given us a beautiful body of believers to help us in that way. Your children are your children. My children are my responsibility. They aren't your responsibility. They're my responsibility. They are mine. God has given them to me, and he wants us to steward them wisely. You know, a lot of times we think about stewarding our children 
wisely when it comes to like discipline or making sure they're fed or making sure they're, you know, caring for their needs, which is really important. But this is an area that we often miss because we just, oh, I don't, I don't like it. I don't think I, someone else can do it. Someone else can do it. But you know what? You are their primary teacher. And you know, it talks about in Song 828, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. It was the young, young, young bride's mother who used to teach her about the ways of love. And we should not abdicate that role to anyone else. This is a very, very important thing that God wants us to share with our young people. And maybe you're a grandma, and maybe you have, you have young people in your life. Maybe you are in church, and you have young people that you're mentoring. You can be appropriate. You don't need to get into the nitty-gritties. You can send them back to their parents to ask the nitty-gritty stuff. But there are principles that can be taught on how God wants us to love, because God does have something to say about that. So how should you teach about biblical intimacy? Well, this kind of this seems a little cliche, but get into the word. Study it. And I, I recognize that the Song of Songs can be a very confusing book. Um, Kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I mean, that's kind of how it starts. You're like, whoa, that is like right out of the chute there. Whoa, that's a little much. But get into the word. Get proper study tools. Study it. It has taken my husband a long time to study the book, but it's been so beneficial. And there, there have been just wonderful rewards of digging in, getting deeper, Read the song, make observations, be curious, what does this mean? Not, what does this mean to me? But what, find out what the author was trying to communicate to the original audience. Try to figure that out. Ask your, ask your pastor and his wife. You know, ask people who, who maybe have studied things like this before. You know, get into it. There's lots of Bible study tools nowadays. I mean, you can get them anywhere pretty much. Use study tools. Okay, this seems a little awkward, but I am gonna, I am gonna, I really hate tooting my horn. I'm gonna try not to toot my own horn, but this is a burden that I do want to share with you that my husband and I, actually, we, we say my husband built the house and I made it a home. I just put the decorations inside and made it livable. So he actually wrote this book, um, Song of Songs for Singles and Married People too. This book, we, we wrote this book, to, we co-authored co this book um, with our son, oldest son, who was 13 at the time, to be able to read this. It's very appropriate, it's not scary. It's some, we, we really had a burden to, to write a resource for people who are curious about what God thinks about love and how to love. There's discussion questions after the end of each chapter. You could, you could do a Bible study. It has helped our marriage incredibly. We have learned so much. And it's the, the book of the Song of Solomon has just been such a blessing and we wanted to share, put that into a resource to share with others to be able to better equip them to not feel awkward about teaching about biblical intimacy, to know what to teach, when and how. So that's another resource for you. Um, as I mentioned before, this PowerPoint is available at SOS4S, Song of Songs for Singles.com, under the Resources tab. So if you just want to kind of go back and refresh what we talked about today, you can quickly do that. Another thing is employ help. You hopefully you have a family and you have a church family, and you might be thinking, well, that's really nice, but you know. 
maybe my family doesn't, they don't, they're not super equipped to help me with this. That's okay. Find a, find a good church who can help, help you with this. I'm sure they would be more than happy to uh, help, help with this. And we have because we don't ask. I remember our kids would be sitting at the table. I don't have ketchup for my hot dog. Okay. They're like, oh, can I please have the ketchup? So sometimes, you know, our churches don't recognize the need because no one's asking. And I'm sure they would be super happy to help. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very easy to blame the church. Be like, oh, well, the church hasn't provided for this. The church doesn't talk about this. But guess what? Guess what? The church is made up of people. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a part of that church. And so it starts with us. It starts in our homes. It's the transformation starts here. It's easy to point the finger and be like, well, they didn't, they didn't help me. They didn't give me what I want. They didn't. No, it starts right here. The transformation starts right here. And you need to believe that the word of God is sufficient and that it is, is, it's perfect for every situation that we go through. There's a lot of complexity and a huge mess out there in the world. But the closer we walk to God, the better we know how to navigate those very difficult and complicated and complex, messy situations. And God has given us his word to show us um, an ideal way to love. We need to take the stewardship of our kids seriously. I need to take the stewardship of my kids seriously and not abdicate that role to other, other people. It's my responsibility. We need to do better. We need to do better for the sake of the next generation. If you look out among, in the world, it's going downhill at a bullet, bullet speed. We need to take this back. We need to be convinced that God's word is true and it, and it will complete us, make us complete, and that we will be lacking nothing when we, when we uh, get our nose to the grind. We can make an impact for the world. You know, the world has greatly impacted and influenced the Christian culture. We can say no. We don't have to let it. We don't have to let them infiltrate and indoctrinate this next generation. We have a choice. We have a choice in the matter. Um, my husband and two of his good friends uh, do a, a podcast called The Thinklings Podcast, and it's kind of based on the Inklings back in, um, in the early, earlier 1900s, and C.S. Lewis was part of that. And one of our favorite quotes that has kind of become near and dear to us is that um, the little knots of friends who turn their backs on the world are those who really transform it. That's not a Bible verse, but it's kind of true. You have a choice to say no to, to the world and the world's way of doing things. You have a choice to say yes to God's way of doing things, even in this area. It's time to take back, back these things. The world doesn't need to have a corner on this. We have a choice, and we can be equipped. The transformation starts here. And may the word of God transform our lives.